Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, Chad, welcome to the show, brother. How you doing? Hey, Corey, happy to be here, man. So, you know, we were talking actually before we started the show about today's going to be a fun little podcast is we're going to talk about, I think, the part that not everybody really wants to disclose or discuss, and that's the dirt. The You know, it's not all sunsets and palm trees, Chad, right? That's right. And anyone who tells you they are, don't believe them. <laughs> They're lying. <laughs> so you've recently had a couple deals that in, that you're putting together now. And just just give us the whole feedback of what's going on, where you're at, and tell us some stories. Let's unpack some stuff, man. Yeah, let's do it. So, you know, I think most recent lesson learned, we've recently uh, closed a 110-unit deal. It was a $9 million acquisition. Great property, guys. Great property. Learn some lessons along the way on it, though. And I mean, these are good lessons to learn. Like while you're winning, you're, you figure out you could have won better, right. you know, so it's that kind of thing. But one of them is around how we structured the deal, which we actually were able to restructure it as we're on the way to closing. So I'll tell you that lovely story. And uh, another one is how we chose to source the equity for the deal. Both of those are pretty interesting topics. Oh, man, let's jump in. So this is cool. So we set up a good size deal. Yeah. And now we're going to gyrate it and talk about, okay, so you're in it and then you had to restructure your deal. Yeah. So let's get into that. I mean, you know, think about deal structure and underwriting in two parts, right? Part one is the property. We all know how to underwrite property and look at like, what is this thing going to do? What are my rent bumps? What are my expenses? All that kind of stuff, right? But let's just assume that is good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you have to decide what are you going to do with the money this thing is spitting off, both in cash flow and in capital event, right? Yep. So we've been pretty successful with the keep it simple, stupid mentality, right? Just kiss when in doubt. And so we've run some pretty vanilla, you know, equity splits, like a 70-30, a 60-40, just straight across the board, whatever it is, right? Well, that works really well. You know, we really cut our teeth on some smaller multifamily, like call it 50 unit acquisitions. I love those, man. I'm not scared of them because you can usually buy them from unsophisticated sellers who don't know how to run them. You put three together and all of a sudden you got economies of scale, you know? So we, yeah. we did a lot of that mess. Now we're buying bigger properties. And so... Part one of that is I can go raise with my team a million and a half like that, right? From $1,500,000, $200,000 investors. That's really easy. Now you start talking about four, five, six million dollar raises, and it gets a little tough. I mean, just do the math at $50,000 if you're accepting that as your men, right? Do the math on a $5 million investment, right? How many investors is that? That's a lot. So, yeah, it's a lot of people. So, I think the biggest thing that we learned on this one, Corey, is a raise your minimum, right? Because you ask for 50, you get 50. And I think you actually, you know, slapped me on that last time we talked. <laughs> and you can always choose to go and accept lower investments, right? That's penciled in the PPM. But if you ask for the minimum, you get the minimum, right? Amen. Now, the other part we learned is not all money, not every dollar from investors is created equal. Right. And if let's say you're going after a $50 million property and 
you need to raise 10 million bucks just for round numbers, right? Yep. I promise you, with the exception of maybe like Neil Bauer or someone like that who has this massive platform, you're not raising that from individual investors, right? You get one or two guys or institutions who come in and write a five to $8 million check and you raise the rest. Well, guess what? That equity, when someone writes a big check like that, their goals are very, very different. Like you and I, man, we want to make money. We're looking for 25, 30 IRRs and trying to really just knock it out of the park and double down and keep going. Those guys have their money, man. They're just trying. Now, if they're managing money, they're just trying to skim a percentage and keep the money growing. If it's their money, family office, for example, they're just trying to keep it growing and have as little risk as possible. They don't want a deal going sideways and losing 8 million bucks, right? Exactly. So what we learned on this, and so we started out with a straight 70-30 split on this deal. And it was decent at that point, but think of it this way, at 70-30 split, all, you know, 70% to the investors, every dollar is worth the same amount that comes in on three and a half million, right? Right. Towards the end of it, we got introduced to an equity group and that equity group said, look, I'll give you half the raise, but all we want is a 10 IRR. So I'm like, well, this is great. What's the catch? You know? In exchange for that, they don't want any of the other upside. They just want their 10 IRR, but they want to get paid first. They want, they want to be subordinate. Yeah. Right. They want to be just behind the loan. And if it happens to go sideways, they get their money back first. Well, guess what? When you start taking cheaper money for half, if you have the same bucket of money, remember we have the same property over here that's performing the same way. You take the same bucket of money that is your upside, and now you're giving a smaller amount of it to the guy who brought half the money and a bigger amount of it to the other guy that brought half the money. All of a sudden, you can make a a pretty attractive deal, extremely attractive, and even execute on it in less time. That took a seven-year hold, 2x equity multiple, to a a four-and-a-half-year hold with better returns. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. If you want to learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. Yeah. Dude, you know, just because of that, right? Just because of that. And fortunately, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you the weeks leading up to closing were crazy because I had to rewrite the PPM and have 40 investors sign it, but they were happy to do it. Yeah, for, but, uh, but so that because they're going to close. I mean, so at the end of the day, yeah. that's a great deal. They're like, okay, listen, here's what we're going to have to do. You're going to have to be subordinate behind this, but here's why. And listen, it doesn't really, at the big scheme of things, they didn't know any better anyways. Mm-hmm. Your normal $100,000, they just want to be in your deal. And the big money is just trying to protect itself. That's right. Everyone has different goals, man. And, you know, the $100,000 investor, they want that 20 IRR. Now they're going to get a 25, yeah, right? Exactly. And then the other guys get their 10 and they're happy as a clam. Mm-hmm. So, so lesson learned, A, it's easier to talk to big checks because they're, you know, they're not going to call you every week wondering how their money's doing, right? Right. And B, They just want to understand easier. your business plan and be like, okay, and, and, yeah. and they're underwriting you as the operator. Right, and they're not in their eyes. They're not putting all the equity in. They're putting if they're putting half the equity. Yeah, that's a good thing for them, right? Right. And what you said right there is important. That the more sophisticated the investor, they could almost give a rip about the deal. They care about you. If if they believe in you and they they think you know how to evaluate a deal, they're going to invest in you all day long. They can find a deal anywhere, right? <laughs> yeah, money's always holds a lot of the keys. But here's the real truth, and I think you hit on this pretty good, Chad is that money people still have problems too, right? Yeah. And so they got to place capital and when they're lo- and they're looking for operators that they can know, like, and trust 
to do that. So you provide a solution for them as well. And not all money's super ass greedy. That's right. You know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, if their alternative is, oh, I go put it in, you know, I just lost a bunch in the stock market or, you know, I've been invested in commercial office. I mean, that you know, 10 IRR multifamily looks great, you know, so yeah. That's the thing is really understanding what your equity requirements or the, the requirements of your equity partners are and how to like structure that capital stack in the most efficient way. Like get the most efficient senior debt, get as much of that lender money as you can, because that's cheap money, right? That's the cheapest. That's the cheapest money. Then get your big equity partners because they're also cheap and, they'll, and they're more like long-term. They could give a rip about cash on cash return usually. They care about the upside. So did your attorney, and you can disclose who you use or not, it doesn't matter to me. Oh, sure, yeah. But um, have a problem with writing that subordinate piece or was it just like, oh, okay, yeah, we can do that? No, not at all. I mean, I think, so it was Mauricio Rold, right? Yep. Premier uh, Law Group, great attorney. Yep. Uh, That's I believe I you guys well. use him as well. Yeah, he, he was fantastic through the whole thing. I think he was a little grumpy with me for how much we were changing it in two weeks prior to close, but we, you know, we but did get cares, it done. Right. So the, yeah. like, listen, that is unless, but as long as everybody signs <clears throat> off on it, it doesn't matter. That's right. And we got it done. Having a nimble attorney, which he was right, yes. was key. He really helped us navigate that when you have an attorney who's, this is all he does is structure deals like this, right? Yeah. He kind of helps us understand like what's market, what's and not. And understanding you know, that along the way, there could be bumps and bruises, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what you're not really telling, and I got to get this out. So two <laughs> weeks to closing, Chad's got a big freaking um, anxiety attack coming. I just can feel it because you're trying mm -hmm. to put together this big tranche of money because you don't have it. That's right. That's right. Right. So th that's exactly it. Yeah. When we're talking about half the raise, I mean, we had the other half of the money. You know, and we had, we actually wound up taking some equity out of this deal and moving it to another deal. So we had like, call it three fourths of the money, yep. right? Okay. Three fourths. There you go. But we decided, Hey, we're going to take half from this group, you know? And so we replaced some money, but yeah, we weren't there yet two weeks prior to close. And so we were, there was definitely a little bit of anxiety of, man, do I push the closing date? Do I risk, you know, frustrating the, the Fannie Mae loan committee, like all this kind of stuff. Right. And, and so there's a lot of things that just had to happen in that. And this weeks. is very typical of every raise that I've ever done. Right. There, it's not always because people, there's lots of people that commit that are great people. And then at the end, they're like, man, something come up and. Yeah, life happens, man. Timing is everything. Yeah. And, you know, two weeks, you know, a couple million dollars. You're like, well, okay, hold on. And then you start. And, but it really puts you in a challenge. It, like, that's what you said. This was the aha, right? Yeah. Once you feel like, oh, my God. Because, you know, from now on, what are you doing? Well, now on, I'm talking to bigger equity partners and structuring this from this the beginning. This is the way, yeah. right? It's kind of like the Mandalorian yeah. where everybody says, this is the way, this is the way, right? Everybody repeats That's it. Right. <laughs> well, here's the deal. Like, I've been racking my brain, right? For the past two years, looking at some of these like B plus assets that are trading at four caps. And I know the syndicators who are doing these deals. And I'm like, how are they how buying are they it here and it? still offering a 25 IRR to what they're marketing to me? How? But they're you know? not. And that's the, that's right? the way. Right, they're structuring the capital in an efficient way. Yep, they'll take their big chunks of uh, corporate money and that want that subordination, right? That mm -hmm. want to be in first place, and boom, that's done. And then they're just raising the extra on, so they don't have to pay out as much, even though it looks good on paper. Right. They've already placed their their senior debt or their senior uh, equity first, and and gave them what they wanted. Right, that's really neat. Right. How that's it's funny. Because you're just talking about this, and I'm in negotiations with a guy right now for the same type of deal, and I would have never thought of this, right? I'm just glad you're bringing this up. Mm -hmm. He brought it up to me, and I was like, oh, 
that's doable. I'm just like, okay, well, that's doable. He's not asking for anything hard. I said, this is actually simple. I'm like, absolutely, we can put something like that together. Well, and here's the thing. People get nervous about preferred returns and preferred equity and stuff. Look, if your deal's good enough, like, you're going to cover that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, a 10 IRR is not a lot of money, right? So, Hopefully you're covering that on, if you're not covering a 10 IRR safely, don't buy the deal, you know? So. Yeah. And this guy just wanted, he wanted a higher pref and, uh, but it was still lower overall, right? It was, yeah. it was a win-win and it was like, man, that's easy. So we got to find a, a new deal to put him in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's a great lesson, by the way, Chad. I, I love, that's a new way to open up more sophisticated capital that has bigger tranche yeah. of money that most people are probably afraid to go talk to, but don't be afraid because you are offering good solutions and build yourself track record. Well, here's the best thing, Corey. Like you almost kind of have, it's that have do be mentality, right? Maybe you feel you're not ready to talk to these guys, right? Start the conversation, don't use them. And then when you go close a deal without them, like, oh, they didn't need me. When you don't need that partner, like you're in a much more powerful position on the next one because now they know you, they see you got it done without them. You close, and they're yes. Gonna be, oh, yeah, exactly. There is you power know? just through get something done. Telling people no is a very powerful thing because it creates scarcity. Yeah. And scarcity is what like, oh, okay, well, I don't need to be the, you know, even though I got big money because money sometimes got to be slapped around. <laughs> right. For use of a better term, this is a fun podcast, right? We're... I love how raw you are. I love it. <laughs> sometimes you got to slap money around and be like, because they don't know it's not good for them. And sometimes they put on their pants and they think they've put on a tank. And you got to remind mm-hmm. them that no, like we all work together, bro. Mm-hmm. But listen, they respond really well. And you can do it very respectfully, just like you said. The best way to teach and how you slap money. Is you say, no, thank you. Yeah, sorry, it's full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just that's, a that's polite the best way thing. to slap it, man. It's the best thing you can tell equity because, like, you can do all you can to try to push people to get their money in on time, but when you say, "Sorry, Mr. Shot," tell you what, they'll be the first one in that. I deal mean, next I'm time, telling you, you know? like the next one loads up the gun, right? Yeah, I call that programming your capital. Right, there is no better yeah. way to program capital to act responsibly, act fast. And do what they say they're going to do because the fear, FOMO, mm-hmm. fear of missing out, um, yes. <laughs> becomes very real for them once they have that taste in their mouths. Yeah. And you know what else? Capital becomes very sticky, right? As soon as you start to do well for them, especially big money, it decides, I don't want to pay taxes. We're going to 1031. And then that 500 grand turns into a million, turns into 2 million, turns into 5 million. And before you know it, you're bidding on the Empire State Building. Amen. You know, So it's like... That's the beauty about this business and raising money. Mm-hmm. It's a snowball rolling down and it only gets bigger, right? Yeah. How and fun. I'll tell you what, one of the things you should note from that story and your listeners should note is that I could have had analysis paralysis and never gotten the deal done because I was trying to figure out how to structure the deal, right? Instead, we went with what we knew. We improved it. It's almost like we're improving. We're souping up the engine as we're driving the freaking car, right? Like sometimes you just have to learn on the fly, you know, maybe don't like learn that you missed underwriting the property by 50%. You're totally wrong. Can't do the deal on the fly. But you know, in terms of some of these optimization factors, you're not going to know it all before you take action. You're going to make the tweaks as you go and and, you got to be in the business and you got to be a little bit moldable, right? Because you got to be shifty. You got to be like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm hearing what everybody's saying. So how do I make it work? How do I attract capital? Because 
I mean, there's lots of ways to lose in this game. There's there's lots of ways yeah. to win, right? That's right. And so right. it really is just being and understanding your principles, and then you can make your small tweaks and adjustments as you go. So that's one. You said you had a couple on this one, another story. And then we have <laughs> one more story. We have three good stories today. We have a bunch of stories. <laughs> I'm going to give you a funny story, because like every deal I do, I learn something, that I, or I see something I've never seen before. Okay. okay? Yep. Day before closing... I send my property management team to the property to go walk the vacant units because typically, and if you don't put this in your contracts, you should, uh, you get a credit if a unit is not rent ready at closing of, you know, 2,500, 5,000, whatever the number is y'all agree on. So we had two vacant units about six o'clock on the evening, the day before closing, as I'm finishing up reviewing the HUD statement, I get a call from my regional and she goes, Chad, I, I don't know how to tell you this. I'm like, okay, this isn't good. And she goes, well, the first unit was clean and we get to the second one and we see a broken window and we hear rustling inside and other noises, like noises. They knock on the door. It gets quiet. The door has been kicked in. So as they knock, it kind of opens in that unit are six butt naked homeless people having a drug, sex and alcohol orgy in unity three. Never seen this before in my life. So you want to bet that way. <laughs> now, the sad thing is I tend to think like six steps ahead before I speak, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was already on to like, oh my gosh, what condition is this unit in? And the next thing out of my mouth was, well, did you get pictures? <laughs> 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 and you know, she was like, what? Excuse me? I'm but not anyways, filming that. <laughs> yeah. But you're so like, having, of the unit. <laughs> of the unit, of the unit. Uh, yeah, I feel like I offended her at first. But anyway, so long story short, making that call to the seller on the night before closing was fun, but we wound up, they were reasonable. We settled up and got a credit for that unit. And I, I'm sure it's finished airing out at this point. But yeah. That's um, crazy. crazy, crazy stuff. The things but you yeah. see in units, right? <clears throat> Especially when you're doing, I think I could do three or four shows. I was just talking about, Tell me about the worst things you've seen doing due diligence, right? Because I've seen it all, and it's bad. Oh, yeah. Like, I've seen a hoarder galore. I've seen hoarders. You're like, you guys know you have a hoarder here, right? And they know. And, like, the seller, the property manager knows, but they've never done anything about it. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah. What? It's pretty bad. We've actually had a hoarder. Like we, uh, not only were there German cockroaches everywhere because of the. It, this was a hoarder that kept bags of trash and oh, it smelled gosh. so bad. Oh, but like we found live animals in that unit that had somehow gotten in. It was just incredible. We've seen a lot. You know, I think the other lesson on this deal, and then we can move to another dirty one. It kind of goes hand in hand with this one, and I think we may have hit them at the same time. But understanding that. The bigger, and now this isn't always true, but just understand that the bigger raise you're trying to do, you know, you really need to start asking for a higher minimum because, you know, three and a half, four, five million dollars at even at a hundred thousand a pop is a lot of people. 30 people. That's a lot of K1s. That's a lot of phone calls they're going to be calling you. And guess what? The lower investment that you accept, the higher call volume you're going to be fielding because it likely is their first or last 50 grand, yeah. you know? So just really be careful with that and feel free to take smaller investments. And I'm not saying like, if you, you know, don't let someone play if they don't have it, but just try not to have $150,000 investors in your deal. Cause I promise you, you're going to pull your hair out. Yeah. You know, I learned that lesson really early on. And um, I, I told you guys my story about being a financial advisor. I think I learned that lesson from Edward Jones. 
I was calling people on bonds, right? And I was like, hey, if you should buy a, if you have the money today, I think you should spend $5,000 on this bond. And my mentor looked at me and he's like, slaps me. He's like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, you don't ever ask for $5,000. Ask for, you know, they was like, ask for 50, ask for 75. Don't ask for five. He's like, do you make any commission? Like, it was all about commission. Do you make any commission of 5,000? I was like, well, I just wanted me to do something. He's like, no. And so I, but, you know, did I follow his advice initially when I moved into uh, real estate? No, I was like 50,000. You got 50,000, give it to me. And then I was like, I slapped myself this time. <laughs> <laughs> and said, dude, you've got too many people and they're probably not the right ones. And so I, mm-hmm. we went to 100 and uh, that was a game changer for us as well. Like it really is. Wow. It really does. And you still accept, like you said, Chad. Yeah. The people that you need to that maybe it's not even their first 50, but they're just real hesitant. I always say some people are just very risk adverse, so risk adverse that they really want to just put their foot in the pool. Right. Like just right. the it's it's got to kind of be a pay to play. Yeah, it's got to kind of be a pay to play because like I know and I can think of ten names. I'm not gonna say them, but ten names in in this last deal. Who if we had asked for two hundred, they would have given it. But we asked for fifty, so they gave fifty. Yeah, you know, it, exactly. It's that kind of thing, They'll give you, you know? what the minimum is. Yeah. yeah. So because it was so prevalent when I looked at with the moment the next deal that I decided I'm not doing fifty and I raced to hundred, all I see is hundreds. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, son of a biscuit, <laughs> right? Like that is so much easier. I did a lot less work. I had a lot less calls. But again, asking for bigger pieces of money—that's a great one. I mean, that goes into yeah. this deal with what you did with the restructure and getting uh, way big chunks of money too, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's the theme right now. Ask for right. more money." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So lessons learned there. And, and by the way, these were like, if we had closed in the original path, it still would have been fine. You know, this wasn't like a detrimental lesson learned, but it's going to make scaling easier yeah. right? as we start looking at $10 million deals and stuff. Well, that's how the games um, play too, right, Chad? As you go forward, like when we first start, when you're a newbie, if you're listening to this and you're a newbie, you start at the cheapest deal that you can feel, feel like you raise money for. Like that's yeah. where you cut your teeth. Well, and here's the deal, guys. Like, I'm fortunate that I, I play with an all-star team, right? I mean, yeah. we Quattro Capital, we have, you know, what, 50 years aggregate experience. Well, I'll tell you what, my experience, Chad Sutton, is about three years, okay? I'm very young in this business. I'm playing with bigger players because I got lucky, I think, right place, right time. But, you know, I just quit my job six months ago, guys. And you know what? Boom. I mean, that's sometimes you got to make a risk or take a risk. But we've bought everything from 10 units to 35 units. And we kind of played that game for a while to really earn our credibility, you know, as a cut group. Cut your teeth and make to for, cut your teeth. feel like this is the way. Yeah. And so like, guys, this can be done, right? And I'll tell you, for every bad story I tell you, I've got 10 good ones. Yeah. You know, I'm sharing the dirt right here, but it's not as hard as it looks, right? Just make sure you have enough margin to operate and time heals. And this next story is going to be about that. Time heals all as long as you can cash flow. Boom. Let's you talk know? about that. I want to hear this one. So this one is dirty, right? And I'll tell you, we bought a property on March 15th, 2020. Okay. Yeah. Everyone remembers what happened on March 18th, yeah. Yeah, right? Our eviction yeah. got taken. Yep. Right. So we bought this property. It was our first and only class D property. We bought it internally. We did not buy it with investor dollars and we knew it was a heavy turn. It was in West Atlanta gentrifying area. There's a a whole revitalization project coming down MLK, right? 
and we bought it knowing that half the tenants were they needed to go day one they were they were drug abusers they were not paying rent all that we're like okay fine we will evict them get them out we'll do cash for keys whatever three freaking days later <laughs> the world has never seen an eviction stick get removed by the government yeah. right it's obvious now but how could you know that we, we weren't scared of a heavy turn back then right? right and we're still not you just have to know the rules yeah so we take this property over it's 36 units not a big one mistake number one we didn't capitalize it properly because we bought it ourselves and we thought oh we'll just you know we've got 50 percent occupancy we'll just bleed the property for a little while to fund the renovations yep. and then we'll we'll start cash flowing it after that this would be easy peasy lemon squeezy right yeah. and so someone gets on tv and says guess what you don't have to pay rent because you can't be evicted and they take that to heart right because it's that kind of tenant base Yo, listen i got one of those tenant bases in new orleans <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they yeah. all talk to each other yep and so that happened right and so the ones that weren't paying already and were already breaking the law and stuff they you know everyone else figured out no one paid for several months right very little and so Number one, we were cash strapped because if we had known better, we would have we would have made sure we cap we put a bunch of money in the bank to to make sure that that property you know we could bleed for a while and get it turned around. Are you ready for retirement? The majority of Americans are not. Failing Social Security and dated financial planning practices put strains on many retirees' finances. Forty-six percent of Americans admit they are not taking steps to prepare for the likelihood they outlive their retirement savings. Luckily, it's not too late. Diversify your portfolio. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. To learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. At that time, also, this was supposed to be a quick turn. Like, you was like, hey, listen, we'll take everybody to court. Well, that's Atlanta. Atlanta, you you used to be able to get them out in 30 days. You know, it's no problem. It's a very easy eviction process. Exactly. So that's what we were expecting. Well, then all of a sudden, we had 50% of the tenant base that we couldn't evict, and we had to basically wait till their leases expired, sue for possession. Some of them, we just gave them a thousand bucks and paid for the U Haul and said, get out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that sometimes works, but you'd be surprised. These people are smarter than you think. Some of them said, no, I'm good. No, I'll just stay. Yeah. I'll get another 60 days. Get me out of here legally. Exactly. Exactly. So that happened and it took time, but probably six months later, we let that in. Now, Freddie Mac, the other problem, this is the other one. We didn't put the right debt on this deal, right? This should have been a bridge loan all day long. We put a Freddie Mac SBL on it because it looked good, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so we frustrated Freddie Mac because we let the occupancy get down to 40% as we were just getting stuff out. Because they're watching your occupancy all the time and they're like, because you got to report that stuff. Yeah, they wanted above 85% because they sold coverage ratio looking like. They're like, well, you're not hitting it. Yeah. Now, we didn't miss a single payment. I'm going to tell you that. That's the only way in this business you really lose, guys, is you you miss your debt payment, they take the property away. We did not miss a single payment. We're not late on a single payment, right? You know, we actually had to feed the property a little bit, right? So, you know, we should have fed it with that much ahead of time, right. but we had to feed it a little bit, hey, right? That month call, that monthly call with all your partners, hey, uh, we're going to pony up this month again. <laughs> yep. And again, it was internal, so we were able to do it yep. ourselves, yep. right? But, but, everybody, time but, heals- but you're still working on your program and you know what's going on. Yeah. And so time heals all in real estate, guys, as long as you can cash flow and cover the expenses if you have to. So- I mean, whether that cash is coming from you or the property, right? As long as you keep it going. In this case, it was coming from us. So we bought this thing at two and a half million bucks. Not a year later, we are now 
ready to sell it because we just have bad juju on this one. So we're going to sell it and make our stuff and get out. But this property is now, it started off averaging $703, right? It is now renting up at $950 to $1,000, okay? We are 100% occupied, except for general turnover now. Everyone is paying rent. They are either Section 8 or charity-backed, right? Yep. And so we now have a great story that we, the property is cash flowing, the property is, so, you know, this is a, what do you think a, an instance, three and a half to four, honestly. Yeah. There's a lot of international money coming in, interested in the West Side, and they are paying. Wow! So you bought it for how much? Right Two, Two and a half. So it was like what eighty a door or seventy a door? Make a million and a half in a year, uh, year's time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the thing is like it. it, Where's, it, it hasn't can been I a, see? I didn't didn't look like an easy button, okay? But I'm yeah, I'm looking at button. it right now. And it feels <laughs> like a real shiny. I just want to hit it easy button. <laughs> Way to make it look yeah. easy, Chad. It was a tough one. So, and I mean, the story, like just walking through that, I mean, yeah, we had three shootings on the property. We had them and one of them was a murder, right? We had to really work on getting the feisty, we'll say tenants out. Now the good tenants, they stuck with us that there were about 30%. They thank 30 you when you get rid of all the crap too, oh, don't they? Those people had been there for 30 years. They'd seen the property go up and down. They were so happy and they were policing themselves. Once they saw what we were doing and we were fixing yep. stuff and getting riffraff out, they were policing that property. And so that was good to get that buy-in. And then eventually, as we got approved by Atlanta Housing Authority, as we got approved by these charities, you know, these people would pay pay rent on their behalf up front to have quality housing, you know? Yes. And you're doing the work for Section 8 housing, uh, government housing, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Doing it the right way. And when you do it right, you can really, really win. So good job. Now, and Corey, it all comes back like this is all the art of the deal, guys, is deal structure, right? We structured this deal incorrectly. Okay. It was not done the way it should have been done. Had we structured it properly with an interest only bridge loan that we could refinance, we probably just refinance it and keep the property. But now we're like, well, we're, we're too far in. We need an equity event to get out at this point. You right. know, so we have some, we're, we're going to sell it. That's, that's the best opportunity. Because, you know, fed it with your own money. And right. now it's like, hey, we need to get our own money back. And right. but like, listen, you're probably better off anyways, just because it's not what you want to do now. Like no. now that you're buying ten million dollar deals, you're like, yeah, that was great. But yeah. you know, let's just take our money. It was cool. We, we time we, per we, unit was way too high on that. And we got the badge <laughs> for that one. <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you what, guys. Though, if you're going to learn a lesson, it's nice to learn it at that level and not at the ten million dollar level. Amen. You know, so. What's some great lessons today, man? Dude, you know, it's funny. I love this game of real estate because you learn and you hear so many different stories of operations and structure and what I did right and what I did wrong. And Mm. man, you know, for those listening right now, this is the kind of stuff, this is why you should actually love this podcast and share it with all your friends because I don't know anybody else that brings on true guests and we talk about the dirt. Yeah, right? the real stuff, what really happens in this world. Yeah, because everybody <laughs> wants to, oh, I, you know, because you can tell the same story that you just did and say, hey, I bought something for this and I sold it for this a year later. Ain't I cool? And no yeah. one wins from that. And I've got 10 of those stories if you want to hear them, but you don't learn a thing from it. Everything went well there. Yeah, you know? so. <laughs> but it's the ones that are a little bit weird that goes, you know, kind of crazy and it tests you. Yeah. And it helps you grow. You're like, okay. And gives you resilience, right? And in front of your investors, it gives you street cred. You want to talk about, so I'm going to give you one that, and now this portfolio is doing very well. These were like averaging 450 to 500. I'm renovating fully and renting at 800 and I can't run them fast enough, right? This is an East Tennessee portfolio. So that's a good story. But my other COVID story 
And again, you learn the biggest lessons when you're under duress, right? We were at the finish line. We had $250,000 hard on an acquisition of 70 unit portfolio in Knoxville, Tennessee. And 12 days from closing, our bridge lender, this one was structured properly, by the way, our bridge lender decides, "Mm, we're just going to exit the market because we can't hit our margin calls and we don't know what we can sell these loans for. So by the way, here's the 30. And you've already given them money too, right? Oh yeah. Of the 35 grand we gave you for third party or you gave us for third party reports, here's the seven grand we haven't spent. Good luck. Still raw about that, right? I've had that happen. I know the lender was ready capital, by the way. I don't mind slandering them all day long. They've burned me twice. So ready capital? Mm Mm-hmm. Dude. Did the same thing. I did the same thing with me on a Really? Yes, I swear to God. Screw those people. (laughs) Well, good. Hopefully we just lost them like a hundred thousand customers with this podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Go to Lima one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Their terms are great. They write the best terms out there, but whether or not they're going to close is a whole nother question. God. So anyway, 12 days from closing, I find myself short 4 million bucks with a 250 grand hard and a seller who's 1031 wanting into a building he's buying. So oh, he's also negotiating with his seller. Yep. Right. Yep. Anyone else probably would have folded and said, all right, well, I guess we're done. Good try guys. We'll just leave the business and take our loss and be done. It took us three more months to close that deal. And we were negotiating for extensions. We went through every single lender that you like, every suspect you can imagine. And you know what? On the last day, we agreed to make five more calls. And by the way, this came with a lot of gut checks because at this point, all the, the predatory lenders, I call them, came out. The 9%, three points in, three points out. If, if you slip, we're going to take the property and everything you own type of stuff. Right? Oh, yeah. So we're questioning. They want to do the like, deal. Man, Oh, they really want to do the deal. It's like, okay, they want well, your deal. <laughs> yeah, those are lend to own lenders, yeah. right? But we were gut checking every night at midnight being like, hey, do we still want to do this deal? Like, can we responsibly place this capital or should we just take the loss? You know, and our investors were great because of how well we communicated through yeah. it, right? We always said the risk is on us. Like, you guys are going to lose nothing. And we wound up landing a better loan than we started with from a pool of money we didn't know existed. Because on the last day before we were going to pull the plug, we agreed to make five more phone calls. And my fifth phone call before we were going to pull the plug was this lender, right? And didn't know, I thought they were a bridge lender, had no idea what they were. Turns out they were a nonprofit community development lender. They lend banks money because the banks want tax credits from the government for making these kind of community reinvestment loans, right? We had no idea this existed. So now, now we're smart enough to know we asked the lenders, where does your money come from? Yeah. Because all the ones who were selling second to secondary markets, you know, they're packaging them up and selling them as investments. Those guys were all out of the game. Some banks and lenders like this who were specialty niche lenders who lend off their balance sheet, they were still in the game. Right. So like also understand now, where you're Sometimes even credit unions. I've seen credit unions be able to do some really cool stuff that you would never like, yeah. oh wait, you can do that loan? If they yeah. know and like you and they've seen a track record- and you're local to their market, man, like things can happen. But so again, that's a perseverance piece. Yes. Which is pretty much, I feel like it's 90% of our, our job as entrepreneurs is to persevere, right? That's right. Is to that's right. keep on being resilient until you find the door that will open. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. got to step into it and then you own it and you own the results. And I'll tell you how much we learned from having gone through those couple of battle tests. You know, I yeah. mean, it's, you can't read that in a book. 
Corey. No, you, you know? can't read that in a book. And look, think about how far you went down the rabbit hole to like, and that was sometimes in those stressful moments, like you just went through. I'm sure that was, those are hard conversations when you're talking about your 250 that you're going to, and it, by then it's probably more because you had to pay for those extensions, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It got more expensive over those three months. Right? <laughs> Every time you're renegotiating at the end, it doesn't usually bear well. It's it's worse terms. Yeah. And more money, and then more money that's committed to you know, extend. And everybody's right. getting a little, because you don't know when they're going to really say, this is it. Yeah. Right? And you're still trying to, luckily you had a seller that wanted to sell. That's right. Because he wanted to that's buy right. something he, new. He was motivated, and he was hard on his property, so he would have lost money too. But I tell you what, it was getting expensive for him, or so he told us, and he made it expensive for us. But it was all earnest money, so it all went to the property eventually, Yeah, right? As long as we closed. As long as you closed. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, what a great day. What a great uh, interview today. I love when I... Just good stories of how things can go wrong. And yeah. even though... Lemonade is like the most valuable thing in the world. <laughs> it's made by lemons, by the way. That's right. <laughs> and so that is our job is to figure out how to, and, and you, Chad, you've done, you've gave us some great examples of how you actually have a really nice lemonade stand. And here's the thing, guys. Like, sign. <laughs> yeah. And Corey, I know you've got some of these stories because I've heard them, right? But I mean, when guys, if you're looking at investing with a group, Get them to tell you some of these stories and see if you can ascertain how they carry themselves. Because I promise you, nothing is going to follow that pro forma they show you. Not a single deal you do, even if it's good, right? That model will be wrong day one. But the question is, how will that team react to the adversity that will come on that deal? And is that the team you want to trust? Amen. You know? Right. Great words of wisdom. Chad, a couple of just last little quick questions on, you know, are you reading any books right now that you have been inspired, that's inspired you, that you want to share? Absolutely. Book, yeah. Yes, yes. I'm an avid reader and my, my coaches all encourage me to read uh, regularly. This is something I struggle with, Corey. There's a book called Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. And the whole crux of this book, the whole message is most of us, we are programmed from elementary school, right? To say, if you ask your neighbor for help, you're cheating. You have to do it all yourself. Figure out how to do it yourself. Well, that is false in the entrepreneurial world, right? The like, Look at Richard Branson, right? That man is responsible for over 7,000 companies. You think he's doing it all himself? No. He finds who can help him accomplish every little thing, and he steers the ship. It is something I struggle with because I've been a doer my whole life, right? And most of us think we can do it better than everyone else. But that is the best book. And the other one is Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek. My partner, Maurice, like lives by this. And I'm finally seeing what makes him tick reading this. But it really talks about like, you know, if, if you're looking at leaving your job or you're looking at optimizing your time spent on your W-2 so that you can focus on investing or building a business or whatever it is, read that book. Because it really helps you realize how do I optimize the use of It'll my time? It'll stretch like, you and what, like, hmm. how efficient your model is and how really inefficient yes. you really are. And how inefficient corporate America is. Yes. Like, we're programmed oh, to think we need to be in the office nine to five, shuffling papers, drinking coffee at the water cooler to look busy. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. Instead of just doing really good work and get it done. Man, right. I appreciate that. Last words you'd want to tell new investors anything. What advice would you give them? I would say be aware of the details, but stay out of the weeds. Okay. You need to understand the details and be able to talk to them, but 
don't get so lost in the weeds that you never pull the trigger on a deal because I promise you every weed you're looking at is going to be different on day one anyway. So understand the risks, understand the weeds, but keep it simple. Just structure on fundamentals and get it done. Right on, right on. Chad, how do people get a hold of you, man? How do they find you guys? Easiest way, go to my website, uh, thequattroway.com. I'm sure Corey can put that in the show notes for you. That'll have access to every one of my managing partners, uh, myself included, our calendars, our emails. You know, Reach out to us. We love talking about this stuff. Happy to connect. Right on, right on. Guys, listen, thanks again for tuning in for this amazing show. And Chad, you've just been an amazing guest and really giving, uh, you know, revealing that, listen, it's not all sunsets and palm trees out there. You know, sometimes life throws you a lots of lemons. Uh, Chad is a master lemonade stand. He knows how to take those lemons, put the right ingredients together, and make something that's sweet and tastes really good. Elvis, I think, like lemonade too. So, guys, if you believe it, <laughs> you can achieve it, and your paradise is absolutely possible. <laughs>